This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get busy into hour three. A great day for talk radio. It's a midweek edition, and that means... We've got our Wednesday roundtable with us, or two-thirds anyway. Ernie Eves, a former premier and finance minister here in the province, has joined us again. Ernie, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, John? Likewise, thank you. And John Turley, you are risk management consultant specializing in capital markets with extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets. How's John? Excellent, thank you. Good, and thanks for coming in. You know, I'm always appreciative of the fact that you guys have labored in the vineyards of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the vineyards. Well, hang on, let me. Well, we've been in the vineyards. I don't know about laboring. Yet. <laughs> right, right. We passed out in the vineyards once in a while. <laughs> right. you, you walk through some grape fields. We're making ice wine. Yeah. yeah well, you know, it's uh, the fact that you've uh, been in uh, finance and uh, these such matters because. Look, uh, and you understand the economy and what makes it tick, because uh, I'm not sure the folks in charge up in Ottawa right now do. On this pipeline matter, I've got to start with that because uh, we were talking about it yesterday. Andrew Scheer was on this program saying uh, because the government's decided they're going to loan the oil patch $1.65 billion. And Scheer says the only help working people want from the government is for the government to get the hell out of the way and let them work. Give a listen. They're not looking at uh, government bailouts. They're not looking for uh, checks coming from Ottawa. They they want to go back to work. They, they they want a government that allows for the private sector to build pipelines to get our resources to market. All right, John, I'll ask you first off. I mean, you were with the Financial Post for a while there uh, as the uh, editor. What What is the idea behind this loan offer exactly? And uh, I don't know, are the Liberals trying to help the oil patch or just uh, showing that they're really tone deaf to Alberta's needs and wants? Well, it's kind of, I I would equate it to a little bit of medicine to help with the political constipation that the the, the Trudeau government has caused by this uh, lack of pipelines. So, So in a business sense, here's what's happening. Ottawa is saying, look, we'll give you loans, presumably at rates less than what they're being charged right now. It gives them an opportunity to reduce their the cost of their loans, therefore uh, hopefully improve their cash flow during this time when they're waiting for the pipelines to be built, when oil prices are low. That's, in theory, what's going to happen. I don't know if that's actually the case. I don't know how many of these oil firms will actually take up the $1.6 billion. So, again, much of it could be simply politics, window dressing. Uh, and, and the other question I would ask is, uh, who, who's going to actually take this up? Is it going to be what you would call those who are in most trouble? And will that put the Canadian taxpayer in jeopardy? And that is down the road where these loans are perhaps not getting paid back if it's the firms who are in the most jeopardy that are taking them on. How about it, Ernie, though, an election year? And they see this, they bobble here, it's Christmas, and they dangle at $1.65 billion. You think Albertans are going to bite on this? No, I don't think so. Um who was it said yesterday that this was like handing a drowning person a cup of water? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, I don't know. They just think that they can schmazzle their way, BS their way through this problem. And the whole problem is that they're not dealing with the root of the problem. They do not want to get serious about getting the pipeline actually built. I, you know, we've discussed this many times. I'm still a huge proponent of an east-to-west pipeline. I think it's ridiculous that our country that's self-sufficient in petroleum and natural gas doesn't have such a thing. And yet, then you there again, you get the parochial politics of Quebec comes into play and says, oh, no, 
you're not putting it through our province. Well, on that basis, we never would have had a railway built in the first place. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Right. It's it's Ottawa has really uh, not stepped up to the plate and been a leader on this trial on this file. Well, and I'm just wondering if that's purposefully, uh, willfully that they're doing this. Look, Justin Trudeau denies these accusations by Albertans that his Liberal government's trying to systematically starve the oil sands to death. Listen. I know how hardworking uh, folks are right across the country, particularly in the oil patch at a time where people are are, are suffering. Uh, that's why we bought a pipeline. The federal government took the unprecedented role that, that you know, we got criticized for from uh, uh, you know, a number of corners. We bought a pipeline. Where's the oil flowing through that pipeline? <laughs> this, no, it's like, I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculous part about this. It, it, it is is simply pointing to things that um, you aspire to, and the meanwhile, people are sitting there saying, "Where's my job?" You know, we have all this wealth in the in the ground, and instead, you'd rather get get oil from Saudi Arabia. You know, this that's the kind of virtue signaling that, that Trudeau is actually doing. He's, you know, buying pipelines that are not there and taking oil from the Saudis uh, and, and bringing it into Canada. It's outrageous. Well, the other thing, of course, is that uh, if he offers up this loan or a series of loans for $1.65 billion, why would anybody want to exercise those loans if they can't get their product to market or the product is undervalued? I mean, it's a bad ga- business gamble. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a huge problem. As you know, they're sort of locked into the north-south uh, scenario of selling it to Americans at a huge, huge discount, and they can't get it to the market anywhere, any other way, except the, the, the small existing system they have. Um, this is a John's absolutely right. The federal government has lacked total leadership on this issue. And they're more worried about, you know, satisfying the people that they catered to with respect to environmental stuff. They're more worried about satisfying the left-wingers in B.C. They're more worried about what the province of Quebec might think about an east-west pipeline. They're worried about the political issues that they think might hurt them as opposed to what's good for the country. Do you think they're taking their cues... To what extent, in any part, a uh, small part, large part, from, say, uh, offshore money that has a vested interest in uh, making sure the fossil fuels are not extracted? I mean, I've had people tell me the Tides Foundation stateside. I mean, now, this does border on the quasi-conspiratorial, but do you think there's some merit to that, John? Well, what I would say there's merit to is the idea that the, the Liberal Party very much are part of the Davos Party. And and what I mean by that is they've been, you know, for years uh, associated with, uh, you know, the, the, the climate change. We have to fix it. You saw Dalton McGuinty, then Kathleen Wynne bring forward policies on that. What I think has happened is is time has actually caught up with them on this. And and what I what what that means is that all the virtue signaling uh, with you know windmills and electricity generated by solar panels, people have seen the cost of that. It's put them out of work. It's put their hydro bills through the roof. And people are saying, look, we, we, we want to have jobs. You've got to think about us. And more importantly, those who have looked very closely at the Paris Accord uh, on, on climate change realize that there's absolutely no way we're going to meet those requirements. It's not going to happen. That's true, and it's very similar to the Kyoto Accord. Right, and I'm not talking about, like, you know, know, folks who are climate deniers. I mean, folks who believe that, you know, climate change is happening, they know these numbers are not going to work. And so, as a result, I think more and more people say, so what are we sacrificing for? Would it not be better for us to extract the oil while there's a a market for it, rather than give money to the Saudis? 
put uh, 80 billion bucks a year into our own economy uh, doing it and think about building technologies for that time down the road when we're going to have to adjust to climate change. Let me then just focus a bit here on the hydro file, because I know, Ernie, you were close to it when you were in government there with the Mike Harris conservatives uh, from the mid-90s, just uh, past the turn of the century. Look, this idea that uh, hydro... I think my picture's a dartboard in Hydro One. (laughs) (laughs) Just? Just in Hydro One? Well, maybe other places as well. Really? Really? but this is where uh, Hydro One, and we know that Doug Ford, you know, as the Ford government, uh, the government in general of Ontario, the 47% stakeholder, the majority stakeholder uh, in that regard, and they wanted to, uh, well, they bought under Kathleen Wynne these two coal-fired generating plants out in Washington State where the regulator det- determined that Ford had meddled with the board and uh, the CEO, Mayo Schmidt, he sent him packing, and uh, as a consequence, the regulator didn't let the sale go through. That was next last week. Well, now it seems Hydro One wants to uh, revisit that uh, that decision, and uh, maybe because apparently the cancellation or whatever the the, the thing is called is going to cost Ontario about one hundred and five million dollars. What do you say to that? I mean, do we go back up that hill and try to uh, you know make amends, or how, well, how would that be repaired? I don't know. It was a very hypocritical move, in my opinion, on, on the part of the Wynn government to start with. Here's a government, as John said, who's proposing all these new environmental forms of energy, and yet they go, they allow Hydro One, which they certainly controlled, to go out and purchase a generating facility that that uses coal power. I mean, they on the one hand, they're patting themselves on the back for getting rid of coal power, which, by the way, was in place when we were there, which, by the way, Dalton McGinty took several years longer than was our program to eliminate coal-powered plants. They keep patting themselves on the back for being great environmentalists, yet they go out and buy a, a facility that produces power through coal. I mean, how hypocritical, how more hypocritical can you possibly be? Well, I, I would say the board of uh, Hydro One does have a responsibility, though, to protect their shareholders. Right. And so if there's an avenue to appeal this this decision, uh, one that has uh, has some merit based on what their, their legal advisors say, I think they're obliged to go after it. But I, I agree, the optics of, of, of this uh, just don't look good. But on the other hand, uh, the question comes down to protecting your shareholders. Right. So in that case, uh, let's take a run back up that hill and see if we can have the regulator change his or her mind. Exactly. And then we would own two coal-fired generating plants in Washington State. And who knows? Maybe we could sell it to the Chinese. They certainly like coal-fired uh, plants. So, <laughs> well, all right. Well, that's where some. Is that of the... before or after? And then the we can maybe get some released. get some people out of uh, Beijing uh, <laughs> while we are doing that. So. Well, that's a, okay. Uh, there is that question as well, and I'll ask it here shortly uh, about what we're going to do with the Chinese relationship. But I wanted to ask one more thing to do with uh, well hydro generation in this province, because the Ford government has decided that uh, and the legislation is passing through, and it's supposedly tomorrow is the date. Uh, I'm told the votes around one o'clock in the afternoon where uh, there would not be a power worker strike uh, because they'd be legislated back to work. Now there's talk that Doug Ford is considering making uh, hydro an essential service. So they'd never be allowed to strike. I guess it would go to mediation arbitration. But the downside to that would be the arbitrators might be more generous with the unions than they might negotiate. Uh, Ernie, how would you play this? Well, that's always been the discussion not just around hydro, but especially around, for example, education, around the teaching profession. You know, there's no doubt that both of those, as far as I'm concerned, are essential services. The province can't exist without hydro or power. 
and it certainly can't exist without educating our young people. And I don't you know, think that those people should have the right to strike, but the cost of doing that is to have arbitration, ultimately mediation first, but then ultimately arbitration. And there have been cases, of course, that governments, all governments have backed away from because they thought the arbitration award would be far, far greater than what might come as, as a result of collective bargaining if you just allowed it to go on a bit longer. But then, then you start weighing the cost of a young person's education versus what you're going to pay down the road. And in this case, no power in the middle of winter in, uh, in the province of Ontario. I don't think it's a very tenable result. But if I had to vote one way or the other, I'd vote for mediation and arbitration. I would, I would not. I, 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 say, I think uh, strategically, uh, you know, what Doug Ford has got from this uh, potential strike uh, is, is uh, a stick in which to beat the NDP, who would happily let uh, the power workers apparently uh, go off strike, uh, go on strike and, and leave, um, you know, Ernie sitting in the cold uh, you know, <laughs> uh, on Christmas Day. Mm. Uh, and so, so I would say that strategically, uh, you know, if you're a conservative, you want to be seen as, you know, active, protecting uh, the interests of, of, of Ontarians against, uh, uh, you know, uh, rapacious unions that are trying to hold them hostage. I would not do that. I would not uh, go for arbitration. I would say let them do as they're doing now, uh, negotiate, hopefully find a deal, and uh, and everyone knows that if they ever tried to go on strike, the Conservatives would bring them back. All right. But so, of course, the NDP is so committed to their principles that they want to get the vote over by 1 o'clock tomorrow so they can go home for Christmas. Oh, is that what it <laughs> They're is? They're very committed. Well, maybe they got a Christmas party. <laughs> Andrea's Christmas party. Isn't that I fun? mean, you know, if you think something is important and you're really sincere about how important it is to you and what you stand for and your party stands for, you fight it tooth and nail as long as you can. You don't just fold up like a cheap suitcase and go home because you want to go on vacation. Well, now, is it uh, up to the NDP or was this going to be closure No, the NDP's anyway? agreed, I think. I think I heard the leader of the NDP say two days ago, you know, everybody knows where we stand. We're going to vote against this, but we're not going to stop it from going through, basically, mm. is what she said. Oh, okay. So they could be caterwauling until Christmas Eve, ideally. Sure. If they really were people of principle, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Why don't we sit all night? Uh, <laughs> I've been there. Have you? For weeks. So, like, <laughs> you know, it depends how committed you are to your principles, oh. is what I'm saying. We have principles, but then on the other hand, it's not too convenient for us, so we're going to abandon those for the time being. I just wanted to know what the circumstances of your sitting all night were. Psst, Ernie, legislature's <laughs> off. Let's go. Let's go home. The lights are off. Ernie's still well, sitting. I remember the rivers and lakes uh, scheme that Mike and our party dreamed up. Uh, you know, when we were in opposition, there's been all kinds of these issues that have come to the forefront over the years. And sooner or later, of course, when you're in opposition, you have to decide... How you're going to get, you can get the government into a mess, but how are you going to escape from it when mm. the time comes to fold up? Right. Go home. When there's a Christmas party to be had. Right. Uh, <laughs> but my question, Very important. We've got our priorities straight. Do you see hydro as being an essential service? Uh, I, I, I think pragmatically, yes. Uh, I think strategically from a political point of view, as I mentioned, the Conservatives would do well to leave it as it is. As is. Okay. Uh, we'll leave that as is. Come back. And uh, many more things to address on the roundtable with Ernie Eves, the former Premier and Finance Minister, and John Turley Ewart, extensive experience as a consultant on Bay and Wall Streets. In a moment, The Oakley Show returns at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 